In America's history, over 50 million brave men and women left home to fight for the freedoms of this country. In that time, over 1.1 million of those people never made it home. Today, we remember. And though we can never say thank you enough, thank you. Thank you to the husbands and wives, the mothers and fathers, the sons and daughters, and the brothers and sisters who watched them go. Knowing the risk and believing that the risk was worth the cost. Today, we remember. And though we can never say thank you enough, thank you. Thank you for the freedom to live in peace, to love our neighbor, and to worship our God. Thank you for your sacrifice. I want to remember that this is Memorial Day weekend, and having been in many countries, I can tell you, which we should all know this, that we have more freedom in this country than any other country. And we tend to take it for granted, but actually we know that freedom is never free, that somebody has always paid a price. And so this is the weekend that we remember those who have fallen on our behalf to protect our freedoms. And so we, we always want to remember that. Join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the country that we live in and the freedom that we have that it seems like a lot of people don't understand. And Lord, it's a temptation for all of us to take it for granted, and we shouldn't. And Father, we thank you for those who've gone before us, who've laid down their lives for us. Father, we pray for their families, that you would strengthen them and help them as they have done without um, for many years, uh, some of them, that you would meet all their needs. And Lord, help them to experience the gratitude of a grateful nation. God, thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name, amen. We are in a series uh, just working through the book of James, and we're calling it Faith That Walks, because that's kind of what James is all about. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazingly practical book. It's short. It's practical. It's, it's something that we can all get our our hands around and digest it, and it helps us live our lives. We started a couple of weeks ago, and James sort of opens his book, and he basically is saying that, hey, during life, we're going to have some hard times. We're going to have trials. We're going to have difficulty. We should expect that. But even when those circumstances come into our lives, it's okay God is with us, and as we rely on God to get through those hard times, to the extent we rely on Him, He will even make our faith grow. It, we can consider it a joy to go through those things because they're opportunities for us to grow closer and stronger for God. And so, He's also telling us that if we if we need wisdom, if we're stuck and we're in a hard situation, we don't know what to do, hey, he's inviting us to ask him for wisdom, and he'll give it to us if we ask in faith. That was the first week. And then last week, 
as James continued in chapter 1, he basically said, hey, not all the trials that we go through and the circumstances are just on the outside. Some of them are more internal. We can be tempted. And we're tempted, and by the way, the temptation part is not a sin, but we can be tempted when we're just going through life and then we see something that is a temptation to us. Us seeing that is not the problem. The problem is inside our own hearts, we have a longing or a desire for something that God says is wrong. And so when we face a temptation in our life, right then we have a choice to either go along with that and start thinking about that, dwelling on it, acting on it, or we can resist it right in that moment. And that's where it determines whether we sin or not in this temptation. Because God's saying we can, in that moment, resist temptation. And that he will help us to do that. And as much as we resist, our faith will also go str- grow stronger toward him. And so he's telling us that. And, and then he's... He's saying that even when we fail, even when we blow it, what tends to happen is that then we kind of step back from God. Because after we failed, we don't feel like we should approach God then. We feel we're ashamed. We feel guilty. But Scripture's telling us that God, He's not gone anywhere, and He's always inviting us. So even when we fail, we can come back to God we, it's called repentance in the Bible, and that's simply we admit our failure, and then we ask God for wisdom on how to do better in the future. That's repentance. And that's what God wants for us. So it's all about faith that walks. And then that section that we talked about last week, it ended with verse 18, where it basically says that if you've become a Christian... It's because uh, you've been sort of born or brought forth from the word of truth. And that phrase, word of truth, really is referring to God's primary message, which we call the gospel, which simply means good news. That word of truth is that you've, you've been brought forth by the good news from God. And the good news is the central theme of the entire Bible, The Bible explains to us that God is righteous and holy and that he created us and even created us in his image where we could know him. But he also created us with freedom so we didn't have to follow. So it's only in freedom that we can have a real relationship with somebody that's not forced and not coerced. And so he's given us this freedom, but scripture's telling us that we've all used this freedom to do wrong, to sin against God, to rebel against our Creator. And then that that brings the bad news, and that's why we need the good news, and, and that is that our sin not only alienates us from God, but God is a righteous judge, and God punishes all wrongs. He will punish every wrong. And for some of us who have been wronged, 
that's kind of a comfort. But, it, but this is not comforting in the sense that we've all done wrong. So we all deserve God's punishment. And his punishment, it, it's more severe than we think it should be because we downplay our sin. And on the other hand, God is righteous and holy. The punishment for sin is actually separation from God forever. But God loves us. And because he loves us, here's the good news. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to allow himself to be tortured to death in order to pay for our sin, because he had no sin. He lived his entire life, no sin, voluntarily laid down his life, allowed himself to be killed to pay our debt for sin. And the way we get that accredited to our behalf is, Scripture says, through faith. By putting our faith or our trust in Jesus, who he is, the Son of God, and what he did, died for us, and Jesus alone. That we had put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. So it's weird that some people come away thinking that the main message of the Bible is here are all these rules God wants us to follow, and we need to get with it. But actually, that's, that's not the main message of the Bible. The main message of the Bible is that Here's God's standard of righteousness, and we can't do it. And so we all deserve separation from God. But the good news is that God sent his son, like he said he would, centuries before, to die for our sins, to make a way, to be the once-for-all perfect sacrifice, so that through faith in him, as a free gift, our sins would be paid for, and so without violating God's justice, because every sin has to be paid for, we can have a free and right relationship with God forever. That's the message of the Bible. So here at Grace, and by the way, as Christians, we should appreciate Memorial Day more than most people, because it kind of ties into that as an illustration. We appreciate when somebody makes a sacrifice for us, and we should understand that because our whole faith is based on Jesus voluntarily sacrificing his life for us and offering, because of that, us the greatest gift in the universe, salvation, saved from the right and correct punishment for our sins. So basically, we're saying here, at Grace, we say, here's what we're all about. And this dovetails into what James is going to say. We say, basically, we're about four things. I don't know if you noticed it, but it was on the video a little earlier. We want to help. We exist to help people, first of all, discover truth. Discover that truth that I just explained to you, that they understand that. Secondly, decide on Jesus, meaning that then after knowing that, and believing it, that they would actually put their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Discover truth, decide on Jesus. But next, if we've truly done that, we will demonstrate change in our life, and we will deploy for others. That's what James talks about next, those two things, demonstrating change and deploying for others. So again, very practical, very short, let's focus in, and he's telling us life with God is to demonstrate change and deploy for others. Here's how he does it, right here. How do we demonstrate change? Verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, 
but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So we have this famous passage in James. And in chapter 1, verse 19, where he's going to start telling us how to do life with God. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And it's super practical. He's saying, but everyone must do this. It's a universal duty of us as believers. And he gives us these three simple instructions. First, quick to hear, which is vital to all relationships. First and most importantly, it's vital to our relationship with God. That we would be quick to hear what God has to say. And because we ignore messages all the time. How many of you have ever gotten a text message and you ignored it? Happens all the time, right? Some of you are shy about raising your hand because the person you ignored is sitting right next to you. <laughs> but it happens. Right? This is God's text to us. This is God communicating to us. By the way, in the most popular book in the world, the most sold, the most read, the most famous book over the entire globe is the Bible. It couldn't be more obvious. It's God's information that he wants us to have. It's important. He's telling us what we need to know. That's, part of, that's why we read. You should have a habit of reading the Bible. That's why we come to grace and talk about what the Bible has to say. He's given us his word, be quick to hear it. But it's not just quick to hear God, that's most important, but we also want to be quick to hear others. And this is vital in our relationships. A lot of times our relationships can kind of spiral down where we're really not hearing each other, and that's always negative. In, in a relationship, this may be the most important thing we can do, that we stop everything. And if your family's not going well, hey, stop and really focus and listen to what your spouse is saying. When's the last time you stopped and really focused to listen to what your children are, 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 what's going on in their world? We, we need to do that. And being great listeners, it'll help our marriages. It'll help our friendships. It'll help our parenting. It'll help us at work as an employer or an employee. And so quick to listen. And then he gives us two simple instructions to help us be quick to listen. And the first is slow to speak. We live in a world today where everybody wants to express their opinions. Everybody has something to say. Everybody wants to jump on social media and say, hey, this, this is what I want you to hear. They want their voices heard. But God's saying, don't be so quick to express yourself. Slow your roll. First, listen. Allow time for thought. When you're reacting to something, run that through a biblical framework. Run that through what God would want, an evaluation through his word. You know, for, for a couple thousand years, people have been saying, hey, it's no accident God gave us two ears and one mouth. He did that for a reason. Hear. We should hear twice as much, at least, than we're speaking. So we're quick to hear, we're slow to speak. Then if we do those two, two things, then we'll be slow to anger. If you have the first two nailed down, usually the third is not a problem. And this word for anger here, it's not talking about sort of an outburst reaction. 
although that's not good either. But this particular word is talking about more of a slow burn, sort of a persistent attitude of hostility or resentment against another person. It, it may be very private. It may be that you think only you and God know that you have this resentment toward this other person. But I'm telling you, if, you're, if that's a person you're living with, they're catching it, whether you think they are or not. That kind of anger. And so after telling us we should be slow to anger, then Jesus tells us why. Next verse. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Why shouldn't we be angry? Because anger keeps us from the life that God wants us to have. And I know sometimes people will talk about anger and they say, whoa, 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 I remember an incident where Jesus cleaned out the temple in Jerusalem and he kind of displayed some anger there. Yeah, in the Bible, it's telling us anytime that we're offended because somebody has injured us, they've done something wrong to us, we don't like it, we're offended, whatever, that kind of anger is always wrong, Scripture's saying. But if we have an anger aroused because an innocent person is hurt or somebody's been taken advantage of, then that can be sort of a righteous anger. We, we tend to call it righteous indignation. And that can be okay if it's not because we've been hurt. It's protecting somebody else. And that's the difference between our anger and God's usually. Next, James says that we need to get rid of the immorality in our life. He says that in the next verse, 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He's saying, get rid of all moral filth in your life, battle against that, and all malice, you know, what you, bad things you want for other people. Get rid of that stuff and focus on God's word. We, we're reminded that even when we fail to get rid of this stuff, God's always inviting us to come back and, and make it right and humbly welcome God's instruction in our life. We can always come back to him. You know, with this attitude, God, teach me. Help me do better. And then the next thing that happens in this passage we're looking at is James, he sort of doubles down on this demonstrating change. He's saying, hey, you've discovered truth. You've made this decision for Jesus. If you're not demonstrating change, you're not a believer. Here, here's the way he says it next. He says, don't just be hearers, but doers of the word. How, how many of you know people who know a lot about the Bible, and sometimes they like to argue about the Bible. You know, you can have discussions about the Bible, that's okay. But some people, it's like, they know a lot about the Bible, but they don't live it at all. Do you know people like that? They're, 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 they're all up for an argument, but when it comes to actually living out their faith, they don't do that. They just know it intellectually. It hasn't seeped into their life. They're all talk, and no action, which is just the opposite of, of Memorial Day weekend when we're talking about people who are all action and maybe little talk, people who sacrifice, they did. But sometimes people call themselves Christians, it's all talk, and they're actually doing 
nothing. He continues in verse 22, he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. He's saying, if you hear the word, but you're not actually living out the word, he's saying you're deceiving yourself. How, how do we know, how do we know when we're deceived? Well, it's kind of like we don't know. We're deceived. We don't get it. What we need when we're deceived is we need somebody to tell us, hey, you got this wrong. And then that allows us to kind of evaluate that. And, and if they're right, then we, we can change that, and that's benefiting us. That's what God is doing here. He's telling us, if you're hearing the word, but you're not doing it, you're deceiving yourself, and God's always right. If you're hearing the word, but you're not living it, you're not following it, then you've deceived yourself. And then he continues with an example, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So here James is comparing a mirror to the Bible. He's saying the only way we can really know who we are is to compare ourselves to the Bible, to look at the Bible like looking at a mirror that, that reflects us and tells us the truth about ourselves. How many of you used a mirror this morning before you came to church? And looking around, how many of you wish the person who didn't raise their hand would have used a mirror this morning before they came to church? You know, we do that. Why? Because we look at a mirror because we want to know the truth. So we look at the mirror, whoa! It's not the way I looked when I went to bed. What happened? You know, so we look. James is saying that's the way the Word of God is. We don't understand our immorality, our, our mess in our lives until we look at the Word. Without the Word, we'd all think we're good because we justify all of our issues. Well, yeah, I do this, but that's only because this and this and this. You don't understand my situation. You don't know how this guy treats me. You know, all this stuff. It's the Word of God that we have to compare our lives to to get it right. Because we will always self, we'll judge others, but we self-justify ourselves. It's sort of like, what if I'm next door working, exercising at the rec? And I'm exercising and then some personal trainer guy walks by and he sees me and he's like, whoa. He's like, Kevin, you're old, dude. You, you need to be careful. You're not doing this right. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to mess yourself up. I'm telling you, I'm an expert. And then he goes over to his duffel bag and he pulls out a book and the book's on working out and he wrote it. And then he hands it to me. He's like, you need to read this before you get hurt. And so then I take the book, and the book's great. I mean, I'm reading passages, and I'm like, it's spot on. It's so good. I start talking to other people about it. Actually, it's so good, a few of us get together, and we start discussing the information in the book. Because it's that good. We t I even start memorizing little phrases in the book. 
because it's so good. And then let's say about a month later, that trainer walks by, you know, he's up in the wreck and he sees me again. I'm at the wreck and I'm working out. And he's going, Kevin, didn't, what are you doing? Didn't you read the book? And I say, yeah, I read the book. He goes, did you, have you done the book? Oh no, I haven't done the book. I've read the book. The book's great. I liked reading it. Some of my friends, we're all reading it together. I've even memorized some of the book. Yeah, but are you doing the book? No, I'm not doing it. That's what we do with the Bible. God's telling us this information that we need that's going to keep us from pain, but instead we just, we read it, but we don't put it into practice in our life. It doesn't do any good when we don't put it into practice. A real relationship with God leads to active obedience. A, that doesn't mean that we live perfect lives. doesn't mean that we don't mess up. But a real relationship with God means that we want to follow God in our lives. It, and I got to tell you, I'll talk to people about this because sometimes people are caught up in some stuff or they'll come in for counseling or we'll have a discussion and, and things are messy. They got really sideways and it, it's messed up. And I'll say, well, you know, here's what God says, and here's what God says, and here's what God says. And basically, sometimes, when it, they won't say it at the beginning, but by the time we're done, sometimes they'll just say, I don't care. I don't care what God says. I don't think real believers can ever do that. Other people, they're like spiritual sponges. I mean, they soak it. Yeah, I want to know what God says. What's he say? What's he say? What's he say? They just soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. But they never use it. The sponge doesn't do anything. It just sits there and it gets sour and it starts stinking, you know, and that doesn't work either. God's saying, hey, we should take it in and we should live it out. That's what God wants for us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Here, here's what James is saying. He's saying, don't deceive yourselves. True Christians do the word. True Christians follow God. Next verse in verse 25, he says, continuing with that mirror theme, he says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That's Christianity the way God intends it to be. That's the Christianity in the first century. Now, we talked about the context of this book and how Christians were being persecuted all over the place. And then James becomes a believer after the resurrection, and he writes a general letter to the Jewish population that's been scattered out because of many of them have become believers. And so they know hardship. And by the way, and then James, after he writes this letter, he's killed. And these people were risking everything to follow Christ. What if we could go back in time 2,000 years ago and meet with those first century believers? And then they ask us, well, they know we're from the future and say, well, how's Christianity doing in 2021? You know, and then we say, and how would it be to explain to them, well, what we have is we have people, you know, they go to work and everything just like you, and they sleep just like you, but they spend a lot of time looking at their phones. 
or other electronic devices. And they have a lot of hobbies, like taking care of their lawns or, or whatever it is. And, th- and they spend hours every day looking at their phone and doing things. And sometimes they do that so much, they'll say they're too busy to come to church and, and learn about the Bible, too busy to read the Bible. That would make no sense to them. They would be like, the, but this is, God's, this is God giving us life. This is God telling us how to live. This is, these are God's instructions for us. This is the most important thing, what God wants from us, what God wants us to do, how God wants us to live. But we take it for granted. We don't even think about that. And so we demonstrate change by doing God's word. And then there's one last thing that, that James gets to. He basically says, hey, God's religion is to deploy for others, that we go out and do something. It's that fourth thing that we say around here at Grace. It's in verse 26, next verse. It says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This man's religion is worthless. A lot of people don't realize that most of the time the word religion or the words connected to religion, most of the time the word religion, most of the time it's used in the New Testament, it's negative, not positive. And so here in a couple of verses here, we see that it's negative actually twice and positive once. It's the same thing. You see... James is saying some people think they're Christians, but their Christianity, their religion, it's worthless. It's not real. They've deceived themselves. And you can tell if they haven't learned to bridle their tongue. Now, that's an interesting word, right? Bridle your tongue. You know, we all know what it means to bridle a horse. And a lot of you have horses. You know, and, or some of you do, but, you know, why do we put a bridle on a horse? To control it. That's exactly right. We, that's the best thing, a bridle and a bit, to control a horse. A saddle doesn't control it. It just helps us stay on a little bit. It's a bridle that controls the horse. James is saying, hey, Christians, you need to put a bridle on your tongue. You need to control your tongue. And if you can't control your tongue, that's a sign that you're not a believer. And your Christianity is actually not real. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. Then he continues in verse 27, last verse we'll talk about. He says this, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God. This is big. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He's saying, hey, real religion according to God, it shows up in our lives because we help people and we try not to be polluted by the world. And he mentions specifically orphans and widows. And so if you've been around at Grace anytime, first of all, I'd like to say, if you're here at Grace, if you're serving, if you're giving at Grace, you're, you're, you're helping people because that's what our church does. But a lot of us here at Grace, we give on top of just supporting Grace, we support two orphanages in Thailand, in Doi Saket. And we've been there, we know the staff, we know the kids, we have a great relationship, we know what's going on, we know how every dollar's spent. 
We also help orphans in Africa. We also try to take care of widows. Well, but it's not just that. We're trying to take care of anybody that is having trouble with basic needs. Anybody that needs help, we want to help them. That's what Christians do, especially if they're from our church family, especially if they're other Christians. But anybody, you know, we try to do that. And then not only that, James is saying, real religion, a real relationship with God means that we are trying not to be polluted by the world. That means we don't just buy the current values of the day. The Bible offends every culture, including our culture. There's parts of the Bible, the, the whole, all the love stuff in the Bible, that doesn't offend Western civilization. That can offend traditional cultures. He killed my brother and you're saying love? No, vengeance. But we're good with the love part over here in Western civilization. But judgment, we don't like that. God will judge us for our sin. We don't like that. Christ had to die to pay for our sins so we wouldn't be judged. We, we, that doesn't make sense to us. The point is, the Bible offends every, every culture. We don't just tag on to whatever our culture teaches. We stand with the word of God that is unchanging. What was sin 2,000 years ago is still sin now. God doesn't change. The world changes all the time and will continue to change. But God's word, God's truth does not change. And what we need to do is reject everything in our culture that is contrary to God's word. And that helps us not being, to not be polluted by the world, not taking up that system, that values. Live like those values are what's the most important. No, God's values are keep doing right no matter what the world says. James is just telling us, hey, if you're truly a believer, it will show up in your life. But please understand this. The whole Bible's telling us we cannot earn our salvation by following God. When we do right and when we do what God says, that doesn't earn us any merit with God. That's every other religion in the world, by the way. You do whatever the religion teaches to earn merit with God, and then you die, and then, you, then God tells you if you did enough to make up for your bad stuff. That makes no logical sense, by the way. Because that's a lot like, let's say I'm working at a job. Let's say I'm running the cash register at the Circle K. And then I decide to take some money and I get caught. So I've stolen. Does it help me to say, hey, whoa, 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 why are you firing me? You stole some money on Friday. Well, yeah, but I also work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I didn't take anything. <laughs> That's four goods to one bad. So the four days of me not taking money, surely that takes care of the one day that I, that's how we think about sin. Oh, well, I've done good things. Well, good. Good things are what we're supposed to do. That doesn't make up for any bad things, right? 
That's every other religion except for Christianity that says you can't make up your sin. You need outside help. That's the good news, that God sent His one and only Son to live a perfect life and voluntarily allow Himself to be tortured to death to pay for our sins. And the way that counts for our sins as individuals is through faith, by placing our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not being good, not being a good dad or mom, not being a good citizen, not being religious, doing a bunch of church stuff, religious rituals that doesn't take away any of our sin. Getting baptized, supposed to do that, that doesn't take away any of your sin. One thing, faith in Christ, trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. And you'll know you're truly trusting Him when after you've received this gift of eternal life, then in gratitude, you will want to follow God. And that's when change shows up in your life. The change doesn't earn us anything with God. It's a result of the gift that God has given us. Does that make sense? Christianity is just ABC. Admit your sin. Some people have trouble with that. Admit that we've done wrong before God. Second, believe. In the Bible, believe means faith. It's trust. Believe in Jesus. Put your trust in Him. But then third, if we've actually done that, if we've actually put our trust in Christ, we will commit to following Him. We will want to follow Him in gratitude for the gift that we've received. That's Christianity. So if you don't have that C, you probably don't have the B. <laughs> Does that make sense? Let's stand together for prayer. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to do another song. And as we do that, if you have any questions about this most important decision in your life, have a relationship with God and how that should show up in your life to know that it's real, I invite you to just stop by room one. There's double doors right back there with the sign room one on top. I'll be back there. A couple of the other pastors will be back there. We, we're there. We're, we'll be available to answer any question that you may have. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. Lord, we thank you for your provision. Lord, none of us deserve to be with you forever. We all deserve to be separated from you forever. But God, in your love for us, you're undeserved. I mean, we haven't deserved it. You love us. And because of that, you sent your son to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, that if we would only respond in faith, in belief, in trust, that we can have eternal life with you and have it in such a way that you have not violated your own justice by not punishing sin because you punish all sin. And we thank you that Jesus was punished for our sin. Lord, help us to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.